Roses are red and violets are blue. Pull up a chair because I have a true crime story for you. Tuesdays with Trisha. The case of Pamela Smart. Episode 41. Welcome to Deary, New Hampshire for this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the coolest place on earth. If you're a repeat offender, my heart is with you and welcome back. Uh, So, nicknamed Space Town after Alan Shepard, who was born here and was the first astronaut from the United States in space, Deary, New Hampshire sits in Rockingham County. Even though it's technically not a city, it's considered a town, it is the fourth largest place to reside in New Hampshire. And it's also the birthplace of Pulitzer Prize winner, poet Robert Frost. Some say the world will end in fire, some say ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to know that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. That poem is by Robert Frost, Fire and Ice. That was published in the 1920 December issue of Harper's Magazine. If any of you children know what magazines are nowadays. (laughs) Um, So uh, welcome back, guys. Super excited to be back, of course. Um, In recent news, me and the hubs decided to um, put our life in turmoil and get ourselves a dog. (laughs) She is a cute little mini pug, and she's from Tijuana, and she's so cute. And they named her Tequila. And we wanted to name her Selena because we kind of wanted to give her like a famous rock star name. And obviously, Selena is awesome. But we're getting a lot of pushback from family on the name. And the more and more we get to know her, and she's literally sitting right in front of me right now eating a binder because <laughs> she's teething really bad. Um, we haven't really decided. So stay tuned for maybe like a different name in the future, like Lala. <laughs> I don't know. I'm partial to Lala. So if my, if my friends, my friends and my family know that, that I like Vanderpump rules. So that's kind of where that comes from. <laughs> and she's got a really awesome makeup line. So Lala Kent, yeah, shout out. <laughs> Um, so this week I kind of dove in, um, hubby sitting right here next to me, but he's not feeling too well. And we just filled our bellies with sushi. So uh, we're struggling. Um, so you may hear him in the background chiming in and you may hear our little Selena slash tequila slash mini pug slash baby in the background. So if you do, that's what it is. Um, I have no guests this week. It is just myself, so I hope I don't bore you guys too much. 
Hope everybody's week was good too. Uh, if I piggyback off my cousin's podcast, I can think about, hmm, did I watch anything scary this week? Mm, not really. I have been on Netflix catching up on Suits because apparently I'm really late to that bandwagon. Um, I still have Yellowstone to finish, but Hubs kind of gave up on me on that one. So I got to struggle and do it by myself, but it's not really a struggle because it's good. So I'm on season five. Um, oh, I watched the movie The Long Shot on Netflix, and that was actually really funny. It's with Seth, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, and it was like, I think it's more of like a rom-com, but it started out pretty funny and has a good storyline, so I really dug that. So if you guys have any suggestions of what I should watch, send me a DM on Instagram so we can jump on whatever bandwagons lately another cool thing that happened hubs had a show this weekend so if you guys remember he was on my tupac shakur uh podcast and you had a good show right babe yes yes he said yes um i was not there i was with my best friend because she moved back into town so my best friend brooklyn and she was on the episode second episode i ever had which was the mcdonald's massacre so if you guys want to check that one out you can hear her but that was way back but she's my best friend in the entire world so i'm super happy that she's back Um, So we had a fun-filled weekend with the kids and the puppy and just trying to struggle with what we call this life. So hubby and I were just sitting here during the break (laughs) and um, we discovered a little fact about our little doggy hair. So obviously Hubs and I like to um, smoke the marijuana, but we don't smoke flour anymore. Um, We do little pens like everybody does, so vape pens. Um, And our dog seems to have a keen interest in our little pens. So I keep calling her pot dog because that's like what I call all dogs that have like an interest in pot because you know, you know, there's dogs out there that have that. Okay, you know, damn well that you've come across a dog, you know, that's like that. Yeah, that's like, dude, I want to get even cats, even cats. I've come across that have been like, I want to get high. But anyways, our she's obviously little and we can't do that to her. So I was like, oh my gosh, she's a pot dog. And then I was like, oh my God, I know what her name is. It's Mary Jane. So we're going to call her Jane. Pretty sure that this is going to be her name. So, I don't know, it could change. You never know. All right. Let's get into this story because um, I'm going to take you all back to the 90s. And this is this is cool because I've always wanted to research this case Um, it's something that you always know about, like as just a true crime junkie or somebody that's into true crime, you're definitely, definitely going to come across the Pamela Smart case. So Pamela Ann Smart was born on August 16th, 1967 in Coral Gables, Florida. She grew up in Miami, Florida until about eighth grade. And then her family decided to move to Derry, New Hampshire. 
Uh, she had like a fairly normal childhood. And so when I say like fairly normal childhood, I'm like, she was a good kid. She was popular in school. She had like friends, you know, and like, you don't need to be popular to have a normal childhood, you know, but you just like, what I mean is normal. Nothing that sticks out as far as like with this woman. Okay. So she attended Pinkerton Academy where she performed in cheer. So she was a cheerleader and she ended up graduating high school. After high school, she actually went back to Miami, Florida, um, and attended college at Florida State University. And while she was in college, Pam actually got a job at the local radio, the school, local school radio station, and was the host of a metal music show called Metal Madness. And she was known as the Maiden of Metal. So she obviously she was into heavy metal music and loved everything about being like a rocker's chick, totally like a 1980s type of thing. It was all about like the big hair bands, Guns N' Roses, all that shit. Um, so on break, she would actually travel back home on and in particular on Christmas break in 1986 while visiting, she met Greg Smart. So Greg was charming and handsome. And at the time, Greg kind of had that whole like little rocker style thing going on as well. So obviously she was attracted to that mullet fucking hair. (laughs) Charming personality and the love of metal music. So they ended up, you know, meeting, hooking up. They eventually started dating officially by February of 1987. And then two years later, they were married. Uh, Greg decided that the end of senior year, so college of senior year for Pam, Greg decided to move to Florida with her, and then they eventually made their way back up to New Hampshire. Um, and it's said that when they ended up coming back to New Hampshire, it was because Greg's family owned an insurance company, and this insurance company was obviously a family business and you obviously couldn't rock the mullet style and so he kind of had to switch up his whole look and it's said in a bunch of documentaries that Pam you know didn't like this you know whether that's true or not regardless they're young when they got married so they um you know about seven months into the marriage it looks like that's when they started having like issues um so during that time when they moved back to new hampshire pam ended up actually getting a job as a media coordinator so i don't really know what a fucking media coordinator was back in the 80s but it's like basically a glorified voluntary substitute teacher i think she was getting paid for this Anyways, this was at Winnacunnet High School, and there is where she met the other culprit of the story, which his name is William Billy Flynn. Now, I can't say this name without doing the Chicago reference of, Mr. Flynn is the reporter here. Like, (laughs) sorry, that was a really dorky moment, (laughs) but Billy Flynn for sure. So anyways, Billy was a 15-year-old sophomore and they met while working with the school's drug awareness program, Project Self-Esteem. Ow! Little girl, you're biting me. My my dog is attacking my my feet. <laughs> so thank you. 
Callie. Thank you. Along with um, many other students at the time, Pam also met one of Billy's good friends, and her name was Cecilia Pierce. I'm bringing up her name for a reason, but we're going to park Cecilia over there in the corner for a moment, and we're going to come back to her because she definitely comes into play. I just want you guys to be aware of the name. Okay, so what I gather is that Pam and Billy basically start a friendship. This friendship between this 15 and 23-year-old, I'm going to reiterate again, ends up turning into a sexual emotional relationship. So basically a full-blown affair. Yes, both my uh, both my family members are looking at me right now and going, "Ew." Yes, you guys, ew. It's disgusting. <laughs> So the kids at the time, you know, obviously described Pam as more of like a big sister type of thing. And if you think about it, 23 and 15, you know, it's obviously not against consent. It's not with consensual age, but it's, you know, you're still within the decade, you know. So I think that she would have probably something in common with 15 year olds, but I wouldn't think a sexual relationship would be it. But anyways, according to, so the affair began one night when Pam decided to invite two of her students, you know, that she coached and mentored while her husband was away to watch the movie Nine and a Half Weeks. Now, probably a lot of people listening, only a few of you probably know what the movie Nine and a Half Weeks, but it was a 1980s film that was quite explicit. That was basically like a Fifty Shades of Grey um, and had your infamous Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke that was in the movie. So it's not something that you'd probably want to watch with your bunch of teenagers that you're supposed to be like the adult in. Um, apparently this night is the night that it led to the affair. And it's also said that this is the night that Mr. Billy Flynn lost his virginity. So yes, the teacher or whatever the fuck you call her. Um, yeah, was doing that. So, and it's said later on too, Pam even states that at one point she did fall in love with Billy. Um, but this is kind of just where everything started to kind of crumble. I, I mean, I don't know, you know. So when I was watching the documentary, I watched a couple versions of it. Um, there was one on like Annie or like Sling or something, you know, and I just... <sighs> I was going back and forth, actually. It's one of those documentaries that you you watch and you're just like, oh, you know, maybe these, maybe these kids were brainwashed. And then you go, oh, well, maybe these kids were just, you know, in over their head and, you know, getting themselves involved. But th- no matter what I watched, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this woman who was 23 years old working in like a high school environment where you're supposed to create safety for these children is somehow violating them and it didn't dawn on this fucking woman at any point to just be like oh hey maybe I shouldn't be sleeping with a 15 year old I'm married I just it's just one of those things and and I talk about this because you're gonna realize like why I do this um because you're gonna hear Pam's side of the story so it so and, and unfortunately, this case also, too, became more of a he said, she said type of case because it, 
it's the kids' words against her words because we really just, yeah. All right. So we'll continue to talk. Okay. So you guys got to think about it. All right. Here's this young 23-year-old woman who is sneaking around in her life having this affair with this 15-year-old. I'm sure it felt dangerous and spicy and I uh, struggled to get those words out of my mouth, but also not to mention disgusting and super fucking stressful probably because her and life is unraveling. She's living two different lives. So obviously it's just going to bring her to the point where she's going to have to choose, right? Well, this is where it brings us to the murder. So, on the evening of May 1st, 1990, Greg Smart was actually coming home from work. He was entering the house that he shared with Pam, and as he entered the front door, he was attacked. The perpetrators made it look like a robbery, the house was ransacked, and they were waiting for Greg as he walked in unsuspectingly. He was beaten, and then he was shot point blank in the head. A few hours later, Pam returned from a work event and found her husband on the floor. It is stated that she frantically runs out of the house, runs to a neighbor's house and calls 911. So here's kind of like where the story starts to really unfold. So really in the beginning when police showed up, it looked like the classic, you know, grieving widow, this, um, husband was murdered in the house and the house was ransacked so really you know the first thing you're gonna think is it's a burglary gone really bad which makes sense um a couple of red flags that the detectives noticed in the beginning about pam is just her demeanor on everything um when she is approached by police you know she doesn't really ask about greg she's more concerned about her dog at the time um, this could also be just a reaction to grief. You know, you start, your mind starts to wander. Anyways, they did happen to notice that she was asking about her dog over and over and over again. Side note, you guys, um, it looks like the perpetrators, when they came in, they did throw the dog down the basement, um, stairs. So I think the dog was okay, but that's actually what happened to the dog. So the dog was still in the house at the time. Um, the other thing that was just kind of weird was that, you know, Pam just made sure, like she said, I was not here. I, you know, was at a work event, you know, and she also like didn't notice the body right away. You know, they had asked her, you know, what was the first thing that you noticed? And the first thing she said is that she saw like speakers on the floor. So it like they had tumbled on the floor, but you know, if you remember what I just said, he was shot in the front part of the house. So like right when you walk in the house, that's like literally the first thing you should have seen. And that's not the first thing that she said. The first thing that she said was that she saw the speakers that were all messed up. So, you know, here they, you know, here they have just this husband that's been shot, this grieving wife, red flags are coming up, but they're still trying to figure out what's going on. So for the police, actually, two days later, the father of Winnicott student, um, Winnicott student, I don't know how to say that, Winnicott, so that's the high school. 
Vance Lattime Jr. walked into the police station and handed detectives a 38 caliber revolver. And he states to the police that he thinks that this gun was the one used to kill Greg Smart. A ballistics report was done and shown later. That is the case. Um, Greg Smart was shot with this 38 caliber revolver. So let's rewind for a second and let's go back to Cecilia Pierce. Now you probably remember me talking about her in the beginning. I'm going to bring her back into the story. Okay. So Cecilia was Billy's closest friend at the time. She was our actual eyewitness that ends up telling her side of the story on how she witnessed everything and how she knew about the emotional and sexual affair that was going on between Billy and Pam. Obviously, if you think about it too, these kids, they're high school kids. They had to have had a core group of friends. So there's definitely more people that knew about what was going on or at least had their suspicions. I mean, here is this teacher slash actually aide that is coming in, volunteering, helping to be with these kids. And yet she becomes kind of like part of their friend group. So on the outside to the police, it's like, okay, this looks like a burglary. Pam's letting us know that, you know, this is what she thinks it is, you know, and then on the other end, they have this literal smoking gun. They have the gun that was used in the actual murder. So they need to figure out whose fingerprints are on these. They need to figure out who was the one that did this. As they keep investigating, they end up arresting three kids in connection with Greg's murder. Now, at the time, it was Billy Flynn that was arrested, Vance Lattime Jr., and Randy, I forgot his last name, actually. I didn't actually write it in my script here what his last name was. So they do arrest these kids on first-degree murder charges. At the time, Pam didn't know really what was going on. She just heard through the grapevine that three kids from the school were involved. She's still maintaining her innocence through this all. So now we're going to talk about each of their stories. Now, Vance and Randy obviously were, you know, they were questioned by the police and they had the same story as Billy. But let's talk about Billy's story. Okay. Billy was pulled in for questioning and basically states that the whole murder plot was Pam's idea from day one. He told Pam that he loved her and wanted to be with her. And she was the one that suggested the only way that they can be together is that if he, if he gets rid of her husband, apparently there were numerous phone calls back and forth of Pam kind of like pressuring Billy to do this, you know, each day would go by and she would come home and her husband would still be alive and she would 
continue to call Billy and ask him, you know, are you going to do this? Are you going to kill my husband? She was the one that, you know, told them um, about the whole plan, about the day of the murder, that she actually was going to be at a work event. She told them how, where the house was. Uh, she told them how to get into the house. She basically was the one that told them how to do the, make it look like a burglary. And then she also had said that, um, you know, that, uh, that Greg was actually a pretty scaredy cat at the time. So this would be the perfect time if they just pounced on him right as he was entering the home. Um, so Billy actually first gives pushback to Pam and he states to police that he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He just wanted to be with her and wanted to like leave her life. She was the one that's super adamant. And then of course she threatened him and said that if he didn't do it, that she was going to end the relationship. So it is said that Billy then recruits his two friends, um, which is Vance and Randy. And Vance is the one who stole his father's gun. We all know this to be true because we have the gun. Billy stated the night of the murder that Pam said that she would be at the school event and that they were to attack Greg when he got home from work. Um, so they did that. They went to the house. They parked in front of the house. Randy stayed in the car. Vance and uh, Billy were the ones that went into the house. They ransacked it, made it look like it was a burglary, and then they waited for Greg to get home. Once Greg entered the home, the two boys did attack him, um, Billy states, and Billy said that he was holding Greg and Vance was supposed to slit his throat at that time. And it looks like Vance couldn't do it. So Billy then took out the 38 caliber revolver and pointed it at Greg's head. And Billy does state that he says, God, forgive me. And then he shot Greg. He said Greg fell to the floor and the two boys fled the scene. This, I, like I said, I'm going to reiterate again, that this same story also coincides with Vance and Randy's. Okay, so now here's Pam's story for you all. From the time that she found out about Greg, Pam was distraught and looked like a grieving widow. She was very cooperative with police and stated that she thinks it looked like a burglary. She couldn't think of anyone. She didn't know that she didn't think that anybody had a problem with Greg. She didn't think that, you know, anything was was happening. She basically just thinks it was wrong place, wrong time. Pam says that she, her and Greg were very much in love and Pam at the time when she was questioned, she never mentioned anything about knowing the high school kids. Um, she obviously told cops where she worked, but never mentioned anything, never mentioned the affair. And let me tell you, if my husband goes missing or is murdered, you better best believe all this, all these truths are going to come out because they got to figure out what's going on. So the fact that she didn't even tell them about anything also is a huge red flag to police. And then now they're getting this other story from Billy. She also, the police also told her during this time that they were like, hey, Pam, we really don't want you to go out to the media and be saying all of this because if it is a burglary, we want to keep it kind of under wraps and we, you know, we don't want to give away any details. Well, Pam ignores this and ends up going to media and ambushing police uh, when they show up at the house that day with a reporter inside her home. So she then talks about it on camera and you can actually look up the video where she talks about what she thinks happened. This really pissed off police and 
she was not in a good, she did not look good to the police, obviously at this point. Okay. So she's maintaining her innocence. Billy is saying this. Now we're going to bring in Cecilia Pierce again. We're going to talk about her story. So it looks like Cecilia Pierce eventually did go to police um, a little bit after they arrested uh, the three boys. She did this because she states that, and she does state it in the documentary that they do years later, that she just needed to clear her conscience, that she just wasn't okay with what was going on. She knew that Pam was involved in all of this and she had to tell her side of the story. So she did end up telling police about the affair. She told them that she walked in on them having sex. She told them she knew everything that Pam kind of confided her and in a lot of stuff and that she was the culprit behind all of the murder. She was the basically the mastermind. So police obviously have these three stories that they're trying to decipher what is going on, right? So they convince Cecilia to actually put a wire tap on her and to go have a conversation with Pam. Cecilia definitely does all of this and they have um tapes that you can listen to online that basically pam she doesn't ever admit to completely knowing about the murder but she definitely says some very damaging stuff that just makes it seem like she definitely knew what was going on so police are pretty damn well convinced that after they get these tapes, after they have the, you know, the smoking gun, after they talk to all everybody, they realize that Pamela Smart was completely involved in this situation. So on August 1st, 1990, police approached Pamela Smart in the school's parking lot. Pam, at the time, who had been still friendly with law enforcement, greets them and is like, hey, what's up to the officer? The officer then looks at Pam and says, well, Pam, you know what? I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is, is that we found your husband's killer. The bad news is that is that you are under arrest for first degree murder. Now we're going to go to trial, guys. And this is why this case is actually such a big case. Um, This was actually the first time that media was actually allowed to broadcast to the public. So it was the first time media was actually allowed into the courtrooms and to hear all of this. So obviously this case became a huge sensation. I mean, it's a 23-year-old teacher slash media coordinator person having an affair with a 15 year old in this small fucking town of New Hampshire. So obviously, you know, people were jumping onto this, like what the fuck, you know, people had a field day with this. So on March 4th, 1991, oral arguments do start for this case. And the whole trial itself was about 14 days. Obviously, the prosecution relied heavily on the testimony of all the high schoolers that they have. Every single one of them took the stand. Um, And it was pretty sad. They kind of got reamed through. Uh, And it just, you can watch it all. I mean, they have videos of it all. So the wiretapes were obviously obtained from the conversation with Cecilia were one of also another, you know, huge thing. Ballistics reports do show that, um, you know, the boys were involved with this. Ultimately, Billy was the one that pulled the trigger on, on Greg. 
So, um, the other, you know, so obviously they have a bunch going on for themselves. Pam, the whole time with her defense team, does maintain her innocence. She says that she have done a lot of things. She does end up admitting to the affair. She ends up taking the stand herself, which was huge back in this day. You know, um, the last thing that basically you want to do as as a defendant in a murder trial is probably go up in your own defense. Um, if you notice, a lot of big cases don't have their clients go up. In this case, they thought, hey, you know what? This is our only shot that we got. We got we to gotta put this lady up on the stand and see what she says. And she's, she's, she's crucified. And, you know, the prosecution just barrels down on her. The defense tries and does the best that they can. Um, you know, there was even one spot that stuck out to me in the documentary, you know, where the prosecution is basically like hounding her. And he's like, he's like, she's like, you know, I'm a lot of things, you know, but I did not murder my husband. And prosecution's like, yeah, uh-huh, right. You didn't pull the trigger, but you definitely had something to do with it. So on March 22nd, um, after 14 days in the courtroom and a little bit of deliberation, on March 22nd, 1991, Pam Smart was found guilty of being an accomplice to first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering. She is currently serving a life sentence for the murder of her husband, Greg Smart. Like I said, you guys, Pam Smart maintains her innocent till this very day. She has lost all of her appeals um, as of 2023, and she will not be eligible to correct this at all, is what it looks like, um, according to everything. So the boys uh, did ended up getting in jail as well, but later on, they were actually all released from prison. I didn't actually research all of the deal, uh, the details about all of this, um, but the boys must have made some sort of deal with everybody because they are, all three of them are out of prison regarding this case. Uh, Pam Smart, however, does fight for her life in prison all the time as far as, you know, I mean, not fight for her life, but she's basically in prison and there's nothing she can do. She was fighting all the appeals and she has lost every single appeal. At this point, Pam Smart, um, the only saving grace for her would be an exoneration from the president of the United States. So, um... You know, my opinion has gone back and forth in this case. You know, I think the biggest thing about this case for me is the fact that this woman justified having a relationship with a 15-year-old. She still justifies it. She even in the interviews, you know, I watched the documentary. Uh, there was a there's a couple of them that have come out. They've obviously done movies, you know, of this case as well. I think there's one with Nicole Kidman and there's one with Helen um Oh my gosh, she's from the movie Twister. I'm spacing her last name. But it looks like there's obviously a couple movies about this. I'm sure Lifetime did a movie. Um, but it just, you know, you go back and forth because at first you think, well, maybe she didn't. Maybe, you know, maybe Billy really was this jealous kid and end up, you know, getting so jealous that he was like, you know what, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what it's like to break up with me. You know, it could have been that. But all three boys have such consistent stories. And as like teenagers, I just don't find it 
very plausible that all three teenagers are going to stick with this story and just have the same thing over and over. You know, it's like the game of telephone. They've done this. Um, with the Adnan Saeed case, actually, they do this in the podcast serial where the reporter actually goes around and asks like kids what they did last week. And most kids can't even recall or recollect what they did on certain days. And if they do, it's jumbled. It's messed up. I mean, even think about it yourself. Can you, if somebody were to ask you, hey, what did you eat last week or on this specific day and during this specific time, would you be able to tell them? You know, I mean, you may get it half right. You, you may, you know, maybe you had a burrito on Tuesday and a taco on Wednesday, but then you say you had the taco on Tuesday and the burrito on Wednesday, you know? I mean, it's just kind of just like that. So the fact that these boys went up to trial and were badgered on the stand and everything, and they all still had consistently the same story. And then Cecilia Pierce's testimony, but then Pam's just saying that she's completely innocent. It just doesn't make sense. And then especially with the tapes, it's right there all for you guys to hear for the whole world to hear for the jury to hear. So I really, really, really have a hard time believing that Pam Smart is telling the truth. But there is one fact about this. She was not the one that pulled the trigger. She is not the one that actually killed her husband. It was Billy. And that guy's out on the streets now. That guy's out living his life. And he's the one that actually pulled the trigger. So I really don't agree with that. Um, I definitely think that the boys should still be serving the time that they do. They ultimately are the reason why Greg Smart is not here. But also, too, Pamela is a huge reason if she would have never have gotten in this affair. And another thing that bothered me, too, about the affair is maybe just after all these years, she kind of brushes it under the rug. But I just don't think that that should be something brushed under the rug. You clearly were making this conscious choice to sleep with a minor and to completely manipulate this boy. And then yet you say you had no involvement. It just doesn't make any sense. I think she really just tried to get away with murder and she got caught. So... Pamela Smart, you're in jail. I mean, prison. You're going to probably die in prison. Um, I highly suggest all of you to go watch the documentaries. They're definitely super interesting. And, you know, this was a case in the early 90s. So it's just kind of crazy. You know, this isn't the first story that we've heard about uh, teachers and children involved. It's just mind-blowing. So, I mean, you guys can take from it what you will. Maybe my opinion matters. Maybe it doesn't. You decide. You know, do you think Pamela Smart is actually telling the truth? I don't. I think it's easier for her to maintain her innocence in prison. I mean, what else is she going to do, right? So, until next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha. Thank you guys so much for taking time and listening to my podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please find me on social media, Facebook, Tuesdays with Trisha, Instagram, at Tuesdays with Trisha. I also have my backup account, which is uh, Tuesdays with Trish. You can DM me, find me anywhere. I really appreciate all the support. I really appreciate all the reviews as well. So keep it up, guys. See you next week.